0: Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top, the body-positive, sex-positive show with your host, Auntie Weiss. This show contains explicit language, not suitable for most minors or easily offended majors. It contains opinionated discussion about politics, race, sex, fat folks, gender, which may not be suitable for conservatives. Additionally, some shows may contain references to science, statistics, history, research, mathematics, and reality, which may not be suitable for American evangelicals. Hi, and welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This is your host, Auntie Vice. Today's episode, we are talking drag, we are talking homeless youth, we are talking comedy. On our show today, we start with uh, Eartha Tourmaline from the Windy City Imperial Court, and we talk about the history of drag, how it goes well beyond what you see on RuPaul's Drag Race, and how they got involved with the court. We also have a bit of our interview with Katori Knight. And they talk about their work with the Rebel Kings in Oakland and their drag. And we close with comic Shahara Hyatt from Sacramento, who is also the head director and researcher at the Homeless Youth Project based in Sacramento, California. I'm glad you're with us. I hope you stay through the break. Thank you. Katori Knight would like to note that while in this segment, she states that her drag is more political than her burlesque, she understands that Burlesque can be political and has performed political style burlesque with the body political.
1: Hi, thanks for staying with Fat Chicks on Top. This is Auntie Weiss. I'm here with Eartha Two Machines, part of the Imperial Court out of Chicago, the Windy City court out there. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being on. This is this is most excellent. You are on our show today about drag and drag identity. So I guess we start at the beginning. What got you into drag?
2: Well, I used to do drag just for Halloween. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we we adopted uh, an 18-year-old. My husband and I adopted an 18-year-old. he passed away in 2012, but he's... Get a kick out of me getting up in drag. So the year he died, I was going to originally do uh, Dame Edna. Uh
1: huh.
2: And I said, I'm going to go ahead and go through with it. And after he passed, and I did Dame Edna, and everyone just loved it. So for a year and a half, I was the court (laughs) Dame Edna. And and I felt felt him right beside me the whole time going, You crazy bitch.
1: What a wonderful tribute! So you bring up the court. So let's jump right in. So people, people have seen, most people are familiar with you know the RuPaul's Drag Race and everything, but Drag has a much more formalized structure through courts. Do you want to talk a little bit about the court system?
2: Well, was, the court was originally founded by uh, Mother Jose, who was an uh, elected official in in California, and she became the empress. She founded the organization uh, as, as a drag at that time drag was kind of considered a taboo you know you're kind of arrested if you were caught mm-hmm. in drag and stuff but she uh, she fought fought the system and uh used the used court as a way of raising money for lgbt causes and charities and things and as it's it's evolved over the years we're now what is it 50 two fifty three years now, or mm-hmm. something like that
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> and so today what the you know there's there's courts all over the country and stuff what do the courts do today
2: they they host events uh to raise money still raise money for for charities they provide like auctions shows they go into the community and do a community service like in April we're doing with the Chicago out, uh, Leather Outreach, we're going to be uh, serving Easter dinner to needy uh, people in our in our area. That's uh, great. Our, our our court is 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 big with uh, working with the leather community. A lot a lot of courts that they're kind of separate. Mm-hmm. They have you know separate identities and they don't want to work with each other and stuff. But originally, the leather community and the drag community were one in one in in the court. And and we're trying and we're getting back to. Uniting us again
1: together. When it comes to to drag identity, is it you know an actual identity? Is it just you know you get up on stage one night and do this? How do people come into these personas that they they then manifest on stage?
2: Well, I was uh, I've been in theater in, in high school and college and stuff, so I come I, I may come from a different background uh-huh. with a lot of people, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's just it's just something inside you that's you know. Basically says, "Hey, this is what I want to do. I want to perform, and this is how I'm going to do it." And each, each, every, everybody has their own style of doing things. Mm-hmm. The one you, know, you mentioned RuPaul earlier, and uh, I was hoping you wouldn't
1: because <laughs> I'm not a fan. There, well, I, I bring it up because there's people in the in the drag community have a lot of feelings about Ru. She, uh, she when
2: when her when her show was originally on, it was wonderful. It brought the drag community back into focus. But from what we're seeing here in Chicago, a lot of the new queens are emulating some of the stuff that is now on her show. Uh, the the backroom scenes where they're all bitching and backstabbing and everything, and they they bring that. And, oh, that's what a queen's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. No, a queen is supposed to be we help each other, we help our community, not self service. <laughs>
1: yeah. And you know, a lot of a lot of the concerns I've heard is that people are using it as a way to launch themselves as a performer, rather than do the community service, rather than work on the connection with the community. Is that some of the stuff you see in Chicago?
2: Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, uh, we've got we've got uh, our crown, Prince is, trying, crown Princess is trying to bring. She, she's she's a, a young queen who basically is one of us old-timers in a way, because uh-huh. she 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 sees she sees that, and she's trying to she's trying to bring in her her drag friends and stuff, and she's you know doing pretty good at that. That's good. At uh, some of the ones who aren't like the uh, the RuPaul.
1: Mm-hmm. People. <laughs> so it's not just all people with snarky comments and uh and uh, you know up there do kind of. I, I'm not even sure which queens to compare it to because there's so many of them. Just be kind of snarky and. <laughs> And and bitchy is it? it Actually, you know, my experience with the court when I got involved with it 25 years ago was much more of a supportive space, especially for people of color, people who were poor, people who didn't have an outlet for their identity anywhere else. And I don't know—is that still part of the court, or has that really faded? It's it's still part of the court,
2: but. uh... It, it seems like you know, for a while it kind of waned a little bit, but uh, everyone's trying to get back into it. I'm yeah. trying to be, include everybody.
1: And is that part of your work with the leather community there in Chicago? hmm Okay. We, we,
2: include, we include straight people, too, straight supporters.
1: That's great. That's, so uh, and it's come up here. Um, you know, I'm based out of Sacramento and stuff, and there's been some controversy with people who are straight, who are not even necessarily allies of the gay community, doing drag as a performance and a way to get into certain performance spaces. Have you seen much of that, or is it still predominantly gay? Mm, from here
2: in Chicago, from what I've notice the same as it's just all uh, gay people.
1: Yeah. So we've had some uh drag kings on and you know quite a few of them identify now as non binary or trans. Is that also true on the male side? Of the we've, court? Got
2: a, we've got a, a we got a few.
1: Yeah.
2: And we're very support very, very, very supportive of them.
1: And that's been that's been one of the issues that's come up with some of the more well-known performers is this split between drag queens and the trans community. There seems to be some bad blood at times. Uh, did you want to address any of that?
2: Well, uh, I know I know I've, I've heard things like, well, if you're trans, you're, you can't be considered a drag queen mm-hmm. because you're technically a female. And but if you haven't got the surgery and everything. And you're, or you're still in transition, mm-hmm. you can still be considered a drag queen. Okay. And, and we have we have some here that prefer to be called that until they've made that complete transition. Mhm, mhm. When it, I mean, I, I call I call them ma'am anyway, you know, ladies. Yes. It, I mean, I, I identify with them. I support them. Mhm.
1: So, what are your favorite parts about doing drag? What does it, what does it give back to you when you do drag?
2: Well, enjoyment, for one thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, like this. I like to make people happy. <laughs> Sense of uh, c- accomplishment because raising a lot of money for people who actually need it. Right now, our, our charities are the Howard Brown uh, Youth Center, or not both well, not used to they deal with youth, but it's also a health, a health clinic for uh, mm-hmm. young people and for aged people. And uh, Project Fierce, which uh, deals with uh, underprivileged uh, LBGBG, uh youth.
1: Nice. nice a
2: lot of our shows. We say come
1: on give a dollar it's for the children <laughs> and, and, how, and, and people are, are pretty willing to then step up and give the charity and stuff but you've got a got a bunch of drag queens out there soliciting them yeah <laughs> that's awesome do you guys so the other another thing that's for the children that's come up with controversies in some areas is uh drag queen story time do you guys have that in chicago
2: uh, we have a few that not they're not part of the court system, but okay. uh they 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 do do it, and it's been an overwhelming success
1: so what's the importance of having drag queens read kids stories to kids?
2: Well, it's kind of uh gives them a set, more sense of imagination and some of the some of the kids may be questioning themselves or mm-hmm. you know don't know about other divisions of of life mm-hmm. it gives them a sense of hey. No, I like this. I'm okay. Is
1: there okay? I'm okay. And I, you know, I think that's a huge part of having drag disabilities. You realize there's just not one way to do gender. There's not one way to do performance. Like, that's one of the powers of, of seeing all of this. Now, the court is also competitive, correct? In terms of, you, you get titles and you, you know, compete for positions in the court to be empress and all of that, right?
2: Well, it's,
1: Sort of a competition, yeah. <laughs> sort of. We we, we have holdings. And so, when for so for your court, you know, you've got the the whole court, but for the the title holders and stuff, what are their roles?
2: The ones who are uh, well, our our court is different than a lot of the other courts. We have an okay. upper house and the lower house. The Lower house or the duchesses, the dukes, mm-hmm. the uh, marquises, marquesses. Mm-hmm. They don't have to put on a show, but they can still be part of the other thing and help raise money with with a title. Okay. And it's just it's like people who don't want a total commitment or who can't afford to do trips mm-hmm. and things like that. Then we have the upper house, which is the emperor, empress, imperial, crown prince and princess, the crown prince, princess,
1: mm-hmm.
2: princess, prince royale, and prince and princess. Depends on what level you are. You have to do so many shows, and you have to put a certain amount of out-of-town events, which is, it, helps, it not only unifies the different courts when we attend those, these other the out-of-town events, but it also promotes our own right. uh, organization with the other ones. That's good. So in case we need help, we can ask them for help, and if they need help, we can ask they, they can ask us for help.
1: That's great. So since you I mean you started as damn then you now have your whole own persona. Has it changed how you see yourself or is this just an amplification of part of you that didn't have a voice before? A little
2: of both. A little of both. <laughs> <A> little <laughs> both. Uh, my my my, my, direct, my direct has changed, changed over the years. I'm uh, more as as our uh, Empress thirteen uh said, you you regal instead nice. <laughs> of'cause i 'cause I used to be my my, I, 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 my unofficial drag mom is miss Lucy Foozy, which i'm pro i'm sure you probably may have heard of mm-hmm. Fousey, mm-hmm. Fousey, and she's a character she she says i am not a drag queen I am a character
1: uh-huh,
2: and for years that's what i said i was i was a character Finally, finally, everyone in the court's like, no, honey, you know, dryly <laughs>
1: Like,
2: fine.
1: <laughs> fine, I'll accept that I'm a queen. <laughs> I'll wear the crown.
2: Being the boy, I feel like a lot of times I don't make a, I can't, don't seem like I'm making a contribution to anything, right? even though, mm. I, you know, I sign, sign online petitions and I do this and voice my opinion here and there and stuff, but when you're in drag you feel like you're accomplishing a whole lot more.
1: That's great. So it's, it's real empowering to, to be able to raise money to talk about issues and stuff and it's easier to do in a drag persona for you.
2: Yeah.
1: It's fantastic.
2: And so, so some 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 uh, queens they get to a point which I, I did for for maybe a month. Mhm. I had a, my 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 husband was like, uh, maybe you need to kill off Eartha for a while, <laughs> but I I didn't I, I dealt with it. Mm-hmm. My uh, my brother in law had, had passed away, and we were we had a we we're supposed to have a show that night, and it's like I'm I'm getting ready. It's like I gotta go. I got I'm 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 scheduled to perform. You know we gotta mm-hmm. do this, and he's like, your brother in law just passed away. You you can't tell the difference. I was having to. Just telling the difference between Lindsay, myself, mm-hmm. and Ertha. Mm-hmm. its actually like had fused together. And some people, when they do serious drag, they get into drag. They they lose that separate identity, and that's dangerous.
1: <laughs> that's what I've been told, and I've been told that when the the drag side takes over, because the personalities tend to be so big, it can be difficult to live with. Is what, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and some friends have, have have phrased it. So there there's lots of different styles of drag. What's your favorite?
2: Well, I'm am old school.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Camp. So the that's, camp, camp. that's what we started out as. That's what drag we started out as. Camp, and that's, that's the day I die. That's going to be what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's funny is. Uh, We've heard of the, you know, the, young, the young queens and young gay people in Chicago. They want all this such fancy stuff you know, where you show you hoochie-coochie and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And, but to me, that's not nice to say to me. When you're showing you
1: hoochie-coochie and stuff, that's
2: not entertainment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, and the, the camp has such a unique style to it, you know? They,
2: they, they, they say, well, we don't, we don't like this this, this this stuff. We like this stuff. Mm-hmm. But then when... Me and another one that we do camp. They just the young people. They just eat it up. They are like I mm-hmm. can't get enough of it because it's something new to them.
1: <laughs> Which is so funny because if you've been in it for a while, you're like this is this isn't new, but you know it, it is new to them. I mean, they haven't seen it before. They're they're new. So for you know the folks out there who are thinking, well, you know everybody can get that kind of tug. Uh, maybe I want to try this. This is interesting to me. What's the best way to go about kind of figuring out if you want to be part of the drag community? How would you tell somebody to go about finding the community and getting involved?
2: Uh, well, just uh, the community. You know, the online. Uh, all of our courts, I believe, have uh, websites. Mm-hmm. Uh, just type in a free court, and then a should pop up. Uh, or check here, your city has newspapers, good newspapers, like we have the Wind City, Wind city Times here. Mm-hmm. They, they always have ads in there of direct uh, shows and stuff. Go to a little fuel and, and get, in, you know, get into the feeling of it. And if this is something that you really want to do, then approach one of the queens and ask them, you know, could I possibly get a spot with you to try this out or a lot a lot of the older queens they'll we'll work with you because that's what that's what drag queens are supposed to be about help you know, each other we we adjust each other's we don't rip them
1: off <laughs> so for for people who are newer to this and may have only been exposed to it through the media and I think all of you are are bitchy queens who are trying to get your spot it can be very intimidating to go out is in general, when you go to courts and stuff, is that what you see? Or is it easier just to reach out to some of the older queens because they're a little more welcoming? Or or how do you go about making it less intimidating for, for the newbies?
2: Well, sometimes, uh, a lot of times, it's the older queens that reach out to them if they see them. You know, getting into a role, post there. Are yeah. you interested in this? <laughs> you know, come join us. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we I, uh, our show last night. We had a couple uh, new, new drag queens who were guest performers, and the uh, one had a hosting, Lucy's, I know, too. and they kind of approached her because they thought, well, this this looks like a fun group. You know, to give back to the community. We had one. To that last night was her birthday. She said, I'd rather come out and give back to the community than go out drinking on my birthday. Oh. That was amazing. That's awesome. So they, approached, they approached the young, uh, the young court queen, and then she approached a couple of us older ones, you know, and we got new members. Uh,
1: that's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. That's so inspiring. So if people want to find you, if they want to find the Windy City... Imperial Court. How do they go about that? Uh,
2: well, we have a website, and or the website is currently in, in working. Okay. Uh, have uh, been having issues with our with our uh, creator on the website. Mm-hmm. But But uh, Facebook page. Just type in to the City Empire, and it pops right up.
1: Excellent. And if they want to support the charities that you guys are raising money for, who do they go find? Uh, they. Can
2: for uh, Howard Brown or Project Fierce. We also do PAWS in Chicago, which is for the animals, uh-huh. puppies and doggies. Uh, we do jellyfish. Every money we raise, family raise for a the shot. We raise
1: thousands of dollars. That's, I, I love that at a level that you can't even fathom. That's amazing. <laughs> And we'll get links up to all of your stuff and all of the charities up on our site. Thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you so much. We
3: love you. <laughs> Hi. You need music, a sound guy, or a podcast done? Well, why don't you call A Series Productions? Hi, my name is Sharon, founder of A Series Production, a mobile DJ company and audio production for podcasts and music. Our DJ service handles birthdays, graduations, weekend weddings, weekday weddings, speaking events, etc. Our ASP staff has fifteen years in DJ audio music and podcasts. Our ASP staff will help you to create a combination of services which meets your unique needs. We can provide custom price bids for your jobs. We offer discounts for multiple services, repeated customers, and special sales. Please ask the staff about repeated business and discounts. Our podcast special we have now is recording, editing, mixing, and uploading up to 100 minutes of recording for $500. For more information, please call 707-867-1411. That's 707-867-1411. Or come to our website, a dot com. That's a serious dot com. Can't wait to hear from you. Thank you.
0: So you bring up drag, and you know you started doing drag. Is drag any different than just doing a male style burlesque?
4: Yes. I would say so. If I was doing a male-style burlesque routine, I would probably be trying to be sexy as a man or kind of do the same type of thing that I would do in burlesque but more masculine in my presentation. Instead of with drag, I tend to take on more of a character. I tend to be more satirical and political with what I'm doing with the character because – in my opinion, that's why we have drag um, to begin with. It's, it's a commentary on society and uh, typical gender roles and presentations um, instead of just a performance.
0: Yeah, there's definitely more of a political side to it. Now, you perform with the Rebel Kings in Oakland. Is that all uh, drag kings or do you also have drag queens performing with you?
4: So I will say that I'm not a core cast member, but I do perform pretty regularly with them. And I think they're one of the most consistently entertaining shows I've ever seen. Um, and there are drag queens. There are burlesque performers. There are faux queens. It is the most inclusive group of people I've ever met. They're really lovely. And um, they really want you to come perform with them. like, And not you personally, um, but like, yeah. yes, you personally. Also, but, I mean, like, anyone who wants to come perform, they're really excited to have you come try it out.
0: Yeah, I've got to work with a few of them at private events, and, and the cast is phenomenal. They're, they're great folks. So our first guest tonight is Shahara Hyatt. I actually met Shahara when I was a researcher for the state. She is amazing. She runs the Homeless Youth Project. She's an advocate. She's a researcher. She's a comic. She's hysterical. And she's coming to the stage now. Welcome, Woo! Oh, my
5: gosh. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I am super excited to show you how poorly... I am at sitting still. (laughs) I I didn't even know that that was a buy thing. I just, I was like, I'm the least comfortable person, so I'm always just like fidgeting. Yeah, like I didn't.
0: I just thought it was me, and then I started reading, and it's like, yeah, you can't, you don't know what to do with your hands. I sit in the chair. I'm like, okay, I can't argue. Like. Uh I hate that these stereotypes are true, but damn it, they're true. Right,
5: and the lemon bar thing too. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like you're not going to argue with I that. not you... that? No. Yeah,
6: they're perfect. What good. a great cookie, though. Like at least it wasn't <laughs> like a I don't know what's a gross cookie, like oatmeal raisin. Yeah, like a high <laughs> drop. <laughs> so I wanted to start with some of the more serious stuff. You're
0: still working for Homeless Youth Project, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, what? Just in general, why do we focus on homeless youth versus? The homeless population in general, are there differences between the groups?
5: Yeah, there's definitely differences between the groups. I mean, I think that a lot of people do focus on homelessness more generally, which we have noticed means that a lot of times youth and young adults get left out of the conversation. So when you're just thinking about homelessness more generally, what it tends to default to is sort of sometimes like a single adult chronically homeless population, Mm -hmm. like the more like visible homelessness that we see on the streets. And um, then what gets left out a lot of times like family homelessness, child homelessness, youth, young adults. Uh, we tend to focus on those like teens, mm-hmm. young adults who maybe aren't with their families, so they're homeless and unaccompanied, because we there is yeah a real need to talk about that community specifically because they need specific interventions, right? Like right. you all know, I mean, just that age period of adolescence is such a unique time in terms of our development, so they really do need things that are tailored for their stage in life. Yeah.
0: Well, and it affects. LGBTQ kids a lot more frequently correct?
5: Yeah absolutely and that's actually how I got really passionate about getting into this homelessness space was learning that you know LGBT youth are 20 to 40 percent of the population of young people experiencing homelessness Um, and that's true not just like in San Francisco and LA that's true across the state and across the country even in our like suburban and rural areas.
0: And, And why is that the case? Why do yeah. your kids get homeless more often?
5: Yeah. So a lot of times they're kicked out because of their sexual orientation or gender identity or expression. Um, and then also they become homeless because of the same reasons that everybody else is, which is honestly, you know, the inability to afford and maintain a place to live. But these young people in particular are also discriminated against in terms of housing, employment, education. Child welfare, the juvenile mm-hmm. justice system. I mean, you know, we're standing on a mountain of literature mm-hmm. in each of those fields, and uh, yeah, and not really talking enough about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, as you go out and do the advocacy, uh, we have an exploding homeless pop- population here in San or Sacramento. What are steps that people can take to help limit the impact on kids right now and provide? services. I mean, people are always dropping off clothes at bins and stuff, but does that actually do anything or are there other steps we can take?
5: Right. Yeah, it kind of depends on who the people are, you know that we're talking to. So, um yeah, so I think for people that aren't necessarily involved in like movement work around homelessness or not policymakers or working with the community, I think something that we can do is try to interact with folks that, you know, across economic lines and people experiencing homelessness because that's the most humanizing thing that we can do, I think really for ourselves. I think sometimes people think that it's like almost like a life hack to tune out the trauma and injustice that we see around us. I would say that the opposite is true. I think that we should all really try to tune in to what's happening uh, with this community, you know, either on an intellectual level or an emotional level. And I think that one will draw you to the other. So that's, I think for me, the biggest thing, right? It's like, that's also how we overcome so much of our bigotry in general is to try to interact with communities that we don't necessarily belong to Mm -hmm. to change our, you know, stereotypes and understandings. And then, and then we become passionate. And then by listening to the community, we understand their needs and then we can be better advocates. Mm -hmm. So create relationships, listen and talk about what you hear. Yeah.
0: And I have a question. It came up on Twitter on a, a feed that I was interacting with a bunch of people. And because the show does a lot about how your body mediates and body positivity. Somebody asked, how do you feel sexy when you're homeless? Mm. And so my question would be, is that something that people deal with or are all the other needs so much more because sex is kind of a fundamental thing. Right. So is that something that's ever really been addressed for people or do we need to address it?
5: I don't think that's something we talk about very often. I mean, definitely people, you know, with and without a place to stay have sex. And uh, yeah, that's, of course, a thing. But in terms of feeling sexy, I think that, yeah, it really does hurt people's self-esteem a lot of times, and mm-hmm. And it's about really like the projection from society toward them, you know, that hurts their self-esteem. Yeah. There's no like safe spaces for any of that to happen. And because when you don't have a place to live, you have to do all of your activities out in public when you're unsheltered, which is one type of homelessness. Yeah. It can mean you can get caught up in the criminal justice system, which for me is one of my biggest Mm -hmm. uh, causes around homelessness specifically is that intersection with the criminal justice system. And that's an important point that's not talked about in our field.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So in that field and in the work you're doing, do you have stuff coming up that you want to talk about with that or anything before we do a hard turn? Sure, sure, yeah.
5: (laughs) Uh, Just real quick, I'm focusing on college homelessness in particular right now. So, uh, yeah, we know that in California, one in 20 UC students, one in 10 CSU students, and one in five community college students experienced homelessness at some point in the past year. So that's true in our state. It's really a bigger problem than I think most of us, even myself, would have expected. So we're writing a report about that. We're evaluating what supportive services are available on college campuses for homeless students and talking about what exists
6: and what the gaps are. Yeah, so we've got a report coming out soon. That's insane. I, I, I can't. I was going to say as an educator, just I used to teach high school and we had a number of students that would get accepted to school. They would do that hard work and then family wouldn't agree with them or something would happen and they would find themselves in, the, in a place of being accepted to a prestigious college. Mm-hmm. unable to pay for it and trying to like go make it anyway. And yeah. it's, um, I think sometimes even as teachers, like we think, Oh, we did the hard work you're into college, but we forget like, no, that's a whole other, the whole other journey. Right. And that's heartbreaking But that, you know, you do this work. And I think oftentimes in our society, like college is painted as a way out and it's right. That's not accurate.
5: Yeah, it's like education can be a pathway out of poverty, but also it can really saddle people with a lot of debt. So I think it does kind of work both ways. And if you don't have that family support around, you know, making those choices with informed consent, it's difficult. It's a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. Well, and just trying to get
0: through school as a homeless like it was hard enough living in a New York dormitory. Like that was bad. (laughs) So I can't imagine trying to do your homework in a car and not having a place to stay regularly, you know, couch hopping.
5: Totally. And people are resilient as fuck. um, And they do all kinds of impressive things, even when they can't meet their most basic needs. Uh, But we shouldn't be putting people in that position. You know, I mean, even that trope of like living off of ramen while you're in college, it's not cute. And that's, yeah, just not going to set people up for success.
6: Yeah. I mean, it's something I see a lot in education. It's like the one thing I wish that we could change is just focus on things like aces and whatever, you know, but just understanding like kids who are coming up you know, from young ages, if they're living in a car or staying with people or couch surfing or whatever else. They are not going to have access to things that we think are like make you a good student. Right. And it's super frustrating to see teachers kind of push back against that. It's like, no, they didn't do their homework. It's not personal against you. They they live in a car. Like, yeah. Totally. Settle down. Mm-hmm. Like, it's also middle school. Right. Like, don't. Yeah. Yeah. Calm, calm down. <laughs> It's more real than, yeah. This yeah, like, they're, you know, this, we're not right just now. all crying over dances and hormones. Like, right. there are kids with, like, real shit, and let's maybe meet them there.
0: So let's do a hard turn. You are sporting the bisexual Bob. Yes, I know. <laughs> i noticed with you
4: in the crowd.
0: <laughs> For those of you who don't know, this is a popular hair I also think bisexual Bob be- could be the name of a bunch of dudes I dated in college. Uh, <laughs> uh, But, I mean, as a performer, you had to decide what your stage look
5: was, and you
0: sport that and a fanny pack. Yeah. So what, I have to ask, what went into those decisions?
5: Yeah, it's great. I get to come out before I've said a word. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, I think what informed these decisions is already that's how I dress. So I didn't do anything differently to, to take the stage. Um, I, when I turned 29, like four years ago, I just started having like problems with my feet. So like that, let me wear tennis shoes. I had problems with my back. So then I was like, not wanting to wear a purse. So I switched to the fanny pack. You know, it just created like kind of a sporty gay vibe, and um,
6: I've really run with it. Yeah, it's—I mean, I've seen you out of comedy, and it is legit. Like the, the fanny pack is just—it's real. It's not. It's yeah, darling. It's I mean, like, yeah, like no, it's not your stage. stage. No, <laughs> it's just you.
5: Yeah. Well, my little brother did have a fun idea that I should put um, those like crazy snakes in my fanny pack that like pressurize. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I want I'm really bombing, you know. <laughs> God, I just
6: the big guy. I want you to do that at an open mic when someone is terrible or telling like rape jokes on stage. Right. You just like crazy snake. them <laughs> off the stage. Right. Uh-huh. That's my new dream. Yeah, please make it come true. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> I think Crazy Snake should be a
5: band name.
6: Yeah. <laughs> absolutely i love it and i will
5: play people off for saying rape jokes on stage <laughs> i know i love you for it so yeah. much but absolutely. you know.
6: mm-hmm.
0: is that still coming up as i haven't been to an open mic in a while i, I hide in, in napa <laughs> um i have self-preservation yeah <laughs> but it it, it, people are still doing this
5: yeah and i would say it happens less than when i first started which was like pre-me too movement so i see a little bit less of it honestly sometimes just You know, because that has become a topical issue, this, like, Me Too movement, then people, men, unfortunately, try to, like, grapple with it from the stage. Who haven't even tried to grapple with it, like, you know what I mean? From their own, mm-hmm.
6: yeah, hearts well, and brains. First. but Shahara, they have such edgy takes. I know, <laughs> I know. Don't silence the edgelords well, among us. How dare you? And I am a sensitive Cancer. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, why don't you just leave? That's what cancers do best. <laughs> I, no, I stick around way past anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I. Whether
5: well, it's a party or a relationship, I'm like the last one there. I you promise. Yeah.
6: <laughs> you know, Just follow the rule. You never leave until somebody asks you, and they'll let you know when it's time to go. <laughs>
5: right.
6: I, yeah, I admire your fortitude in running an open mic regularly. <laughs> I, I truly, Thanks. it's it's not for the faint of heart.
5: Yeah, well, and I get to like host or, or co-host two of them. Um, you know, they're both, yeah, they're pretty different ones at the Comedy Spot every Monday night, super fun, 8 p.m. Uh, and then the other one is at, the other is, at the lavender library and it's an lgbtq specific open mic stand-up comedy it's one of my favorite things that happens all month the second wednesdays yeah at seven thirty, it's a blast so you
0: guys both do stand-up and everything else yeah do you see people grapple with issues that are going on within the gay community biphobia colorism any of that come up on stage Again, I've been out of the loop for a minute.
5: You know what's super interesting? And Amy, I'd be curious to hear any of your thoughts on this too, but um, my sister came, my sister who's also queer, she came to like a queer comedy show and uh, she was kind of like, these are all gay jokes for straight people. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I would say too, until more recently where I've started to do a lot more kind of like queer specific shows and the queer open mic, a lot of, yeah, my like, queer jokes have been geared toward a straight crowd. So it's like where you think your punchline's going to be is more. Yeah. To shock like a mainstream audience. But when you're speaking to your community, they're just like, yeah, you use it a strap on, keep going. What are you talking
6: about, right? <laughs> right. Like where's the, hu- where's the
5: humor recommendation and, like, or something <laughs> oh, I can right. use. Yeah.
4: Right.
6: You know, it's funny. I was on a show last night that was not queer specific, but I have a lot of jokes about being gay, obviously. And, um, I started talking about one of them and a dude from the back row yelled, not a surprise. Like he wasn't shocked that I was gay. (laughs) And it really like, it kind of shook me in a way that I wasn't expecting. Cause like I've been heckled before, but I realized like so much of being a queer person is making yourself palatable to a straight audience. And when you feel like I'm not even going all the way in dude. And like, you're still, that's still the way that you're talking to me. It's, it was like a real interesting moment for me just to think like, man. And I do love like a queer space or a queer show when you're like, I've done jokes about like Tegan and Sarah, the Indigo girls. And yeah. like a straight audience is like, mm, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Those sound like nice bands and like a lesbian crowd dies. Like I, you know, like I, it's just interesting to see. And so, yeah, I don't think that as a queer community, like in comedy, I feel like it's still pretty, we're still kind of coming off of like Ellen as show pony years where like that's, there's so few like famous queer comics still
5: yeah and actually I got heckled super recently uh, one of the jokes I've told the most often I say you know I'm bisexual on stage and uh, yeah and this guy yelled to the crowd prove it oh and I mostly just kind of berated him but what I wish I had said was yeah your mom and dad here I'll fuck them both <laughs> <laughs> you guys
6: Clearly this is not a straight audience. God, I would just I like that. That's number one. Now Crazy Snakes has now dropped to number two. I'm just letting you know about things I want to see you do on a stage. Working
5: on my new five. Yeah. That
6: hot five is gonna be so good.
0: <laughs> so how did you move from serious researcher into comedy? Like that's a step. Yeah. it's a big big step.
5: Yeah, you know, I've been doing, uh, yeah, advocacy around youth homelessness now for almost 10 years. So in September, it'll be 10 years at the California Homeless Youth Project.
0: Which is just hysterical, right?
5: <laughs> it's absolutely wild. <laughs> Time has flown. And then I've only been doing comedy now for a little over three years. So, yeah, it's something I'd always considered doing. And like so many things, I mean, I'm... I'm a lifelong learner. I'll just, like, take a lot of different types of, like, adult ed. Like, I don't know. I learn Spanish, like, any, yeah, (laughs) all the time. Um, And so I thought comedy was going to be one of those things that I tried, you know, Mm. just, like, see how it goes. And then, like, a lot of us, you know, I got fucking obsessed Mm -hmm. with it. And then, you know, it just, I didn't even move into it with any intentionality, which is something now three years in. I'm starting to think about, like, okay, what does it mean for me? Because, yeah, the learning and experimentation and performance are my favorite parts, and I'm trying to just stay focused on that stuff.
0: Does it translate over to your other day job?
5: Yeah, okay, so actually really cool. In two weeks from now, I'll be in D.C. at a national conference on the criminalization of homelessness, and I'm doing comedy at the reception. So, That's That's yeah, awesome. It's like a That's perfect awesome. blend of what I do. And, you know, some of you maybe seen stand-up, my stand-up, Um, I do some jokes about homelessness just based on what I've learned that are punching up because usually when homelessness is invoked from a comedy stage, Mm. it is always invoking stereotypes Mm. and it's always about that crazy homeless person doing something wild. And it's like, yeah, no shit, man. People have untreated mental illness. It's not the funniest thing I've ever seen. So it's nice to flip the script on that. And Mm -hmm. I think that that honestly, to me, has a bit of a chilling effect Mm -hmm. on some of the other comics that would be doing homelessness jokes, especially at my open mics. Yeah.
6: Mm Yeah. Yeah, there really? are there's a surprising number of people that feel like that's an easy yeah target, yeah, and yeah, I an target. I mean I love your like what are you jealous? And we like have, <laughs> at my house we've adopted that <laughs> oh, as like a as like a line frequently, not just you know about <laughs> that, but just it's it's great and it's such a good
5: thanks.
0: Okay, so we have this point on the show where we ask all of our guests four questions. Okay, so my first question is, what is your go-to munchie?
5: Ooh, um I get high every night. So
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm we like encourage if that. there's
5: always something. Um yeah, I'm a chocolate queen for sure. It's gotta be like a chocolate bar, like a good one. Yeah. Do you have a, a preferred brand? I don't know the brand name, but there's this one. It's like it's got ginger and lemon in it and Ooh. dark chocolate. It's really, really good. It's kinda spicy. That's
6: mm-hmm. fancy chocolate. It's my favorite one. I yeah. like it. Um, what is the worst advice you ever got?
5: Let's see, someone, uh, when I first got into this whole, yeah, field of social work, I was doing, it, I was a drug and alcohol counselor, and yeah, somebody told me, they will eat you up and spit you out, to like, to not pursue it as a career, while well, I was, like, pursuing my education to do this job that I was hugely passionate about. So, yeah, that was some foul shit this old dude tried to say to me to just, like, derail my life plan. I'm stunned <laughs> to hear um, that it was a dude. <laughs> yeah, right. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't. So... <laughs> So there you go. Through you. Yeah.
0: What is one thing everyone should try in a lifetime?
5: Gosh, you know, it's definitely not for everyone, but I'm going to say Burning Man. You guys, we live so close. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it's a blast. If you're at all into a desert vibe, it's worth it. If you're not, yeah, don't, obviously. You know, I
0: got to say, I have very strong feelings on camping. Yeah. And luckily, so does my partner. <laughs> this... Does not cam- I need portable <laughs> medical equipment to sleep. This does not camp, <laughs> right. right? And luckily I date a man who was in the military and he did his time and has no need to camp again. Um, and we have friends who are burners and they're getting married next weekend and it's like this three-day camping event. And we got the invitation. It's like, yeah, you can come up. You can bring a tent and camp on the land. And he's like, we're getting a hotel, right? <laughs> this is like, Before you RSVP, we're getting a goddamn hotel. I'm like, this is why we we work so well together.
6: I'm I'm like a secret wannabe burner. It's always right as school is starting so I've never been able to go but like truly one of the biggest regrets of my life is being 21. Someone offered to take me, had a ticket for me (laughs) And it was like before, like I'm 36, so this yeah. is like vintage Burning Man when it was still like <laughs> not, you know, San Francisco just moved to the desert. No no disrespect to right. burners. Uh, and I just yeah. think about it all the time. Every year when I see him going, I'm like, go, <laughs> <Come> I'm <this> time. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I'll eat. I, I will go eventually and I will either love it and like try and find my true self or need to come home after like one night. Yeah. I don't know which yet. We'll find out, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, I love the fact we live in an area that now three weeks before Burning Man, Orchard Supply and Home Depot are like do you need to finish your Burning Man statue? We were having sales <laughs> this week. <laughs> and it's like ad campaigns. Yes. Like, I was listening, I was driving in the car, and it's like, Orchard Supply now has, you know, discounts and all your needs for Burning Man. I'm like, how the fuck did this become, like...
6: <laughs> like, corporate takeover. Like, they I know. feel like it's time to start a new thing. Let's yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it
5: does have really, like, radical queer values, which mm-hmm. is really sweet. I mean, it's like a big art party, um, of course, but, yeah, but there's some, there's some depth to it, too, which, yeah. it, honestly...
6: I mean it's, it's my, my it's my dream Yeah. Someday. <laughs> Someday. Yeah, I believe in you. Yeah. <laughs> and you get the lesson Oh, yes. Um what is something that you're grateful for?
5: Oh gosh. Um I'm going to say right now. I'm really grateful for my sweet supportive partner who is here tonight and here Aww. at so many. He of is my shows.
6: the best. He's a true
5: peach. Yeah, I love him a lot. <laughs>
0: So if people want to find you, if they want to go to your mics, if they want to see your shows, you've got several coming up. Where do we go?
5: Yeah. Okay. Um, so tomorrow night, I'll be at the Punchline, 7 p.m. I'm excited about that here in Sacramento. On January 7th, I'll be in Santa Cruz at the Poet and the Patriot. Yeah. You can catch me any Monday night at the Comedy Spot or every second Wednesday at the Lavender Library. Sweet.
0: Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Woo, Thank wow. you. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs>
3: Has been a Fat Chicks on Top presentation, with your co-hosts Auntie Vice and Wendy Lewis. Sound provided by Sharon Smith of Asiris Productions. All things Fat Chicks can be found on our website at FatChicksOnTop.com. That's FatChicksOnTop.com, or check out our social media for more information. That's Fat Girls on Top on Twitter and Fat Chicks on top on Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. Please review our previous episodes on iTunes, Google Play, or all podcast streaming services. Please support the Fat Chicks by buying us a tea or purchasing our merch on our website. And thank you for your support.